Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of CareerGig and host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about agility and how you deliver customer experiences. While customer experience always requires a sharp focus on listening and adapting to customer needs, most companies have had to make much larger changes recently due to COVID-19 and the different rules of operation. To talk about this in more depth, I thought we'd explore an industry that often thrives on interactions in physical spaces, museums. We're going to explore how a museum was able to adapt its methods of delivering experience in a way that not only served the temporary needs due to COVID restrictions, but also set the organization up for future success in an increasingly online world. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Craig Langlois, Chief Experience Officer of the Berkshire Museum. First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at Berkshire Museum? Uh, Hi, Greg. As always, thanks for having me. Um, Absolutely. uh, As my title suggests, uh, it's uh, rather unique in the museum world right now. You don't see a lot of chief experience officers, um, but uh, basically we are um, all about sort of integrating the museum experience um, across multiple platforms. Uh, And that experience could be in the museum, out in the community, or now more recently in a pretty robust virtual or digital setting. Uh, Internally, there are five museum departments that are part of the broader experience team. Uh, Those are uh, exhibitions, collections, education, public programming, and our aquarium, uh, which are all sort of the forward-facing components of the museum. Uh, My role is to sort of anticipate, uh, design for, integrate, and manage the needs of those audiences uh, that these departments focus on. Um, Sometimes it can be very specific uh, in terms of like what a school group needs when they walk into the museum, um, and at the same time managing the needs of, say, a family that's visiting at the same time to to sort of maximize uh, their experiences in the space uh, and then continuing that experience when they go back to their homes or to their schools. Um, That's sort of the outward facing, uh, you know, look at my job uh, internally. Um, you know, uh, from a staffing perspective, uh, it's providing staff with resources that they need to be successful, um, whether that's financial or sort of uh, capacity building support in terms of either bringing in uh, more uh, sort of human resources or uh, professional development opportunities for, for various staff members. Um, the uniqueness of the Berkshire Museum and sort of our org structure has allowed us to sort of flatten the organization to a certain extent um, and sort of hold all of those departments of equal weight. Um, a lot of times in museums, you see sort of the curatorial or exhibition end of the museum sort of tying up those resources. Um, we recognize that a lot of our um, uh, in-person traffic was being driven by education and programs. Uh, so we wanted to elevate those to the same level um, as, say, our exhibition teams or our, our collections teams uh, and apply the same resources to make sure that they could do the job as best as they possibly could. Well, uh, let's start off by talking about one thing that might be fairly obvious to, to most listeners. Museums have had to operate by new rules in the, in the era of coronavirus. So what was your first reaction when you knew that the way that you were operating was going to have to change both 
quickly and uh, pretty drastically. Um, you know, as weird as it's going to sound, opportunity. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it's kind of weird to think of um, opportunity during uh, a very tragic uh, global pandemic and all of the hardships that have come out of it. But um, within within the museum setting, you know, and, and like most business, if you're trying to shift business models while still operating a physical footprint, uh, it creates a lot of confusion, you know, to successfully market that, that shift in um, – what you might call a brand or an experience, uh, you know, from one day closing the doors, revamping everything and opening up the next day can create a lot, can create a lot of, um, confusion. Um, you know, uh, interestingly, like the pandemic actually kind of set the platform for us to create uh, a new experience that was almost expected by the audience, right? Like everyone knew that museums were going to kind of have to operate in some sort of digital or virtual world to, to reach audiences in a new way. Um, uh, yeah. The opportunity to close the doors and, and do that quickly um, and apply basically all the resources that we had um, creating physical um, spaces within the museum to now creating virtual spaces uh, was an opportunity that we were excited about that I was excited about. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to me, this this goes to, and I know we talked about this a little bit before the show, but um, this speaks to, it's inevitable that more and more experiences are going to go online or we're already going online in the first place. So to your point about opportunity, I think that's, that is important. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's incumbent on all of us to somehow make some good out of, you know, what is otherwise a very terrible situation around the world. So I think, you know, if we can make some kind of good out of this, let's, by all means, let's do it. So, I mean, I think that's, that's certainly the right approach is, you know, what, how can we make the best of it? So, you know, along those lines, um, how have you adapted some of the content? Like, what are some of the ways that you've done this to, to cater to this more remote and, and virtual audience? Sure. Um, for starters, I think uh, we spend a little bit of time thinking about infrastructure and how we wanted to present ourselves. Uh, so we, we embarked on two rather ambitious projects to sort of support the programming end. Um, first was uh, building and launching an entire new website, um, which we did in relatively record time. Um, so we designed and populated a website in under four weeks um, with a bunch of content that we had sort of uh, preloaded into the back of our system. Um, yeah. um, it's uh, it's uh, we refer to it as our explore at home site, uh, which allows you to sort of get a sense for all the programming that we we've, we've been developing um, over the last couple months. And then um, <clears throat> more uniquely, uh, we um, we built an entire uh, two scale virtual museum uh, that mimics the Berkshire Museum uh, down to the molding details uh, and oh, we wow. did this in 4K resolution. Um, and we used a platform that allowed us to um, manipulate it during, say, webinars or, or talks with curators and artists, uh, but it also allows the end user, anyone in their home, to sort of navigate the space uh, themselves. Uh, so basically, we built a museum video game, right? Um, nice, nice. <laughs> and what's, awesome. what, what's fun about that is that... Um, like we can build exhibitions uh, in this space um, that feel uniquely Berkshire Museum. Um, I think one of the strong points of the museum's physical footprint is that it feels familiar. Uh, it's been there for 117 years. Uh, you know, it's it's a staple in the communities that we serve. People recognize the structure. They recognize the rooms. Uh, and we have the ability to um, now manipulate those spaces Um 
digitally and continue to add fresh content. Um, so uh, we can mount entire exhibitions of museum collections. Uh, we recently mounted uh, a show that was supposed to be in a physical space in the museum over the summer, but had to be delayed because we were forced to be closed. Uh, we mounted that um, in the virtual space for people to get a sense for it. Um, and uh, now we can start playing with how to integrate other programmings uh, other programs into that space. Uh, case in point, we have a, a, a relatively successful podcast series that focuses on looking at objects that aren't on display uh, in the museum, um, which we started during this uh, this downtime. And uh, we are now uh, populating one of the museum galleries that we built with high resolution images of the objects we're talking about in the podcast um, and creating ways for you to listen to the podcast while in this virtual space. Oh, that's um, great. It's so, like an audio tour kind of, right? Yeah, it's an it's a it's, audio tour. <laughs> it's, a, it's a virtual audio tour, um, and then you get into this world of accessibility too, right? Like, how do we get more people to be able to experience the the physical museum um, in ways uh, that they couldn't that they, they couldn't before? Um, so, great. yeah, yeah, no, I love it. And again, I mean, the creativity involved in that. I mean, I I'm gonna definitely check out the. Uh, the virtual model thing after this <laughs> after the show, um, cause, no, I I just I, yeah, it's it's a really interesting way to to approach it and and um, and bring that aspect of the the physical space. So you mentioned um, when we were talking previously, you mentioned some other ways that you've been able to make money, you know, with the obvious less foot traffic and and ticket sales and things like that. How have you been able to generate some revenue in potentially like unconventional uh, methods in this in this time? And, and what have you learned from some of that? Yeah, so I think the the most successful uh, model that we've adopted is um, over the summers uh, we usually have a really robust camp program, um, which is serving you know two hundred to three hundred students coming into the museum for sort of week long experiences. Um, this obviously wasn't going to happen this summer. Um, so we completely flipped that model to be a hybrid of uh, a subscription box program um, and uh, virtual learning, uh, where we um, packaged up a lot of the materials that you would use in one of these camps, um, either as sort of a loaner. Um, so either loaning out, say, an iPad, a tripod, and some lighting equipment to do an animation program or a robotics kit to do uh, um, a robotics program. Um, or like a physical chemistry materials to do a physical science program. Um, and, um, you know, selling these as the camp experience over the summer. Um, and you could use them in two ways. Uh, you know, some families uh, were basically, they were done with virtual learning. Like they were open about it. They're like, we don't want to log on to another Zoom session. We've been like, our kids have been in Zoom sessions since March. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do we like give us something that we can use independently at their own pace and when they, when they want to do it. Uh, so we designed the boxes to meet that need. Um, and then we also uh, created another layer where, you know, for a couple hours a day, you could log on to Zoom and do the experiments or ask questions of our programming staff um, in a group setting, if that's what you wanted to have. Um, so you could interact with other kids who are also building robots. You could, you could share ideas and, and programming ideas. You could, you know, make a, a, a Alka-Seltzer rocket with a, a group of students at the same time and have that sort of collective experience. Um, and these have been really successful. People have really sort of, um, um, enjoyed them. And I think a lot of that comes down to, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of really good subscription box programs. Uh, we use a bunch for, for my son. Um, but 
we branded them and we created the narratives and the stories that were unique to the Berkshire Museum. So we tied in um, our collections. We tied in, um, um, you know, programming that that our audiences are familiar with into these boxes. So it made them feel like something they already knew versus something new that they had to kind of figure out. Um, and we plan yeah. on continuing these. We can plan on uh, using them um, in the future, uh, both as sort of like when the museum's up and running and we can all kind of gather again uh, as something you can pick up in the gift shop. Um, you know, in the fall, we're looking to roll these out as sort of an after school experience, uh, knowing that a lot of those experiences that were happening in school uh, can't happen in school anymore um, uh, due, to, due to COVID restrictions. So how do we support uh, learning uh, in our community? How do we support families um, in our community and, um, you know, keep uh, a revenue uh, coming into the museum while we're still sort of operating under uh, limited physical um, um, uh, access? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what I like about that too is, I mean, I will say I've, Every, everyone has obviously been trying to find their way over the last several months on on how to do everything from conferences to, you know, in your case, museum experiences. And and frankly, there's been a lot of what I would term lazy approaches to, you know, let's just slap it on Zoom and, you know, and call it a day and, and stuff. So, I mean, what I really like about what you were saying is not only I want to try the Alka-Seltzer rocket out, but um, <laughs> I want to, uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, you got real feedback and you got feedback from parents that said, listen, you know, don't give me another zoom meeting and, and stuff like that. What, how was that? How did you get that feedback? Was it, um, you know, was it a methodical approach or, you know, how did, how did you kind of determine what was going to be the best fit um, to get that feedback from your customers? So we did some audience surveys. Uh, we reached out to audiences that we serve on a regular basis. Um, and then a lot of it is just sort of knowing your audience and, and having open conversations and dialogues with them. I mean, okay. uh, where we're located in, in Berkshire County, um, it's a relatively small community. Um, the, the footprint that we serve is roughly uh, four states all kind of uh, congregating around this, this corner in Western Massachusetts. Um, but there are, you know, community interactions. Um, our staff are out in the community, you know, shopping and, and attending other events. Um, they have their own individual networks. Um, one of the things we, we strive for is those sort of opportunities to have conversations outside the museum walls where we're, we can gather that information in, in safe ways. Um, uh, and kind of taking the, the temperature of, of our audience. I mean, um, it's... It, it, it's it's having trust, right? It's it's the audience trusting yeah. you and um, them knowing that what you're going to put forward is in the best interest of both them and um, uh, and the and the organization. Um, that's yeah, that's great. And and I mean, to me, that's the that's the true spirit of of customer experience. And, and so, no, I think I think I think that's great. Well, let's let's talk now a little bit about moving, you know, things moving forward. I mean, eventually. At some point, hopefully sooner than later, but at some point things will resume to at least, you know, let's call it some some semblance of, of normalcy. And, and you you alluded to that as well of you know, some of these things can be used in the long term. But what other lessons have you learned that will help the museum be more adaptive in the future? Oh, um, uh, cross train your staff. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the bigger one is find those hidden talents. Um one of the interesting things about the Berkshire Museum is that a lot of our sort of academic or formal trainings um, are not in sort of museum studies. Um, we all either have that 
that um, experience either through work experience or, or um, you know, a few of us do have it from a, from a sort of academic background. But um, the majority of our staff come with this, this variety of backgrounds, whether it's um, AV training or theatric training. Um, and uh, how do you utilize those skills um, to create really unique and robust experiences? And uh, that's what we re- relied upon um, during this time of, of sort of the quick flip from physical interactions to um, uh, virtual interactions. Like how do we take uh, someone who has a theater background and apply their knowledge and sort of lighting design uh, to creating a virtual museum layout? Um, you know, how do we, how do we yeah. use that skill? How do we take someone who uh, has dabbled in um, uh, audio video uh, work, um, you know, as their own sort of like, uh, personal projects and uh, elevate them within the organization to support our um, audio and visual needs uh, during this time, um, and and sort of really looking for those hidden hidden talents. Um, and I think going forward, um, as we get back to some sort of normalcy or whatever our new normal kind of looks like, and right. thinking about bringing new staff on, is is making sure that we're paying close attention to those skills. Um, and, and asking the right questions during our interview process to, to sort of make sure that um, we can we can find people who have um, those sort of hidden talents that they that they want to um, advance and yeah. find to help them advance. Well, I love the yeah, I love the idea of you know the the hidden talents and and it, in a sense it's it's creativity in in the broadest sense of the term you know so not um, you know it's it's finding those that creativity it's being creative creative about whether it's, you know, creating experiences or even business models. Cause I mean, you've, you've uncovered a few things that it doesn't sound like we're even on your radar, you know, the, the, the subscription boxes and all those kinds of things. There's, there's a lot of things that, that were born out of just necessity and, and a, a need to, to, to do that. I mean, how do you see this? I know you're part of a, a team, but how do you see your part or even the organization's part in, in fostering that, I mean, you spoke to, to the need for it, but how would you, you know, encourage that in the long term? How do you look for it? How do you how do you just encourage that as, as part of a culture? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think it's like open and honest communication, right? It's um, you know, thinking of um, how all the individual team members fit together and making sure that they all feel valued and that um, the skills that they bring to the table, regardless of what position you hold within the organization, are um, are there and um, having that conversation with all staff. Um, um, I think one of the things that small museums struggle with is the ability to elevate within uh, the organizations because the staff tends to be small. You know, we're a, a staff of thirty um, uh, versus, say, an organization that has three hundred people, and you can you can create movement vertically um, a little easier um, there. Um, so yeah. I think here, I think here, the the goal is sort of. Um, you know, recognizing those skills, um, um, helping managers identify them when they're hiring staff. Um, and then I, I think having sort of, um, I mean, COVID uh, switching aside is is really sort of setting uh, a direction for the organization where um, we have the, the flexibility to do flips like this, but I don't think like we want to run an organization that's flipping constantly, right? Like, um, um, so, so setting a direction for three years, right? Like setting a direction for five years and be like, all right, these are our, these are our institutional goals. This is where we want to see growth. This is where we want to keep things sort of where they are. This is what our vision for the future is, whether that's, 
you know, architectural improvements and how that fits into programming, um, or whether that's, you know, programming improvements and how we want to grow audiences, or if we're maxing out an audience, like how do we shift resources around, um, and just giving that clear communication and clear direction, um, once we can kind of reopen the museum, uh, so that we can get everyone kind of on the same page and everyone kind of going for that, that goal. Um, and then, um, using staff time to sort of evaluate those goals and are we hitting them? Are we hitting those metrics? Are we, are we creating the, the experiences that we want to create? What's missing there? Is it uh, a financial resource that we need to identify? Is it a human um, resource that we need to identify? And um, helping to bring those things uh, forward and bring everyone along. Um, yeah. Well, and I think this this somewhat segues to the last thing I wanted to talk about with you and is, is your professional background and how you kind of came into the the role of CXO and, you know, it wasn't necessarily your initial trajectory in your professional career, but, you know, talk a little bit about how you got into your, your current position and, and what kind of brought you there. Sure. I mean, uh, my, my origin story is long and, uh, and complicated. I will, uh, give the abbreviated version, but, um, sure, sure. I, uh, I, um, I didn't start in, in museum studies. I, I, I didn't start in what many would consider a creative field. I actually started in medicine, um, and just found myself, uh, wanting to push the boundaries, um, in that system in a way that I wasn't allowed to, um, asking questions that, um, um, were not the right questions to be asking in, in that environment. So um, I actually did sort of a 180 in uh, my early college years of, of moving into uh, fine art training um, and exploring uh, uh, fine art as a background. Um, uh, I ended up with a, a degree in art education and then eventually uh, an MFA in ceramics um, and was working as a college professor for a while. And uh, um kind of stumbled upon museum work and from a programming standpoint, um, you know, uh, creating programs for uh, public audiences, um, which I really enjoyed, right? I, I enjoyed the, the challenge of how to relate objects in a space or paintings on a wall to a variety of audiences and, and, and find that sort of spark, right? Um, I think one of the things that museums do really well is sort of shortening the learning curve. Um, like if you're trying to wrap your head around a very complex social issue or a scientific issue or, or just baseline knowledge, right? Like you can do a lot of research yourself um, and try to pull all these different pieces together and you'll eventually make the connection. But um, a lot of times you can, you can head to a local museum and um, a lot of that work is encompassed in the artifacts and interpretation that are on display um, and help you make that sort of cognitive leap quicker um, I really enjoy that sort of leap moment where I could see audiences or I could see groups of students um, kind of getting really complex issues um, quickly because they're looking at objects, they're interacting with things, they're having a dialogue with me. Um, and that kind of really sort of put me on the, the trajectory for um, museum work and uh, my career where uh, from public programming to designing education programming, uh, both in Berkshire County um, and on sort of larger state models um, and um, given the opportunity to really sort of grow and um, uh, create new opportunities and new audiences within uh, the Berkshire Museum uh, kind of help set the the organization model to think about um, creating sort of an experience um, head um, like I mentioned earlier lots of museums sort of silo those those organizations um, but um, I kind of made the pitch that we need to de-silo um, uh, 
yeah. uh, those individual departments and, and bring them together uh, because you know the programming ends is just as important as the exhibition ends. Uh, and how do we get those to kind of kind of work uh, in tandem? And it was a, a kind of a holistic approach, right? It was um, we uh, as an org kind of sat down and thought about what we wanted to be and where we wanted to go, um, and sort of redesigned the organization to to meet those to meet those needs uh with me right. adopting the the chief experience role well one last thing to kind of wrap up uh you know for similar organizations uh, maybe not even specifically museums but you know similar organizations that might be struggling with how to make these great experiences what would you what what advice would you give uh even as for some restrictions might get lifted or, or things like that Good, good question. I think it's, I think it's twofold, right? I think the first is like knowing your audience. Um, you know, if you, if you are a museum that focuses on X, Y, and Z, uh, whatever you're creating virtually, like focus on X, Y, and Z, you know, make those things as strong as they possibly can be just in that new, that new environment. Um, we were fortunate enough to really go really high tech with it, but I, I, don't think that's super necessary a lot of times to to speak to your audiences as long as you're talking in your authentic voice um and then i think um uh second is uh uh like you know build off the trust that you have um um the is it kind of comes back to the first point right it's like it's like be the organization that you you set out to be uh don't be something something different and then think about the the long game right um uh, from an experience standpoint, you know, uh, we at the museum didn't create anything that we didn't think we're going to use in the future. We didn't just create like COVID programming and then that programming is going to go away. Um, spend some time thinking about how uh, those two things are going to integrate when you have to reopen or, or you choose to reopen um, and how they can support those those endeavors to reach a broader audience versus just kind of shutting it down. Because um, I think that's will do more damage than good. Um, well, Craig, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing and, and keep up with things? Sure. Uh, the, the easiest way is to go to explore.berkshiremuseum.org um, and you can find all of our virtual programming as well as um, uh, information on uh, new physical uh, experiences within the museum. Great, great. Well, again, I'd like to thank uh, Craig Langlois, uh, Chief Experience Officer at the Berkshire Museum for joining the show. To learn more about customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.